Now, last weekend, we launched into a brand new series uh, in the book of Colossians, which really is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this group of believers in this ancient city of Colossae. And what we're discovering week by week is that this letter written in 62 AD has so much relevance for us right here and right now. And this weekend, we move from chapter 1 to chapters 2 and chapter 3, and we're going to look at a couple of specific passages uh, out of these two powerful chapters, and these are going to lead us to a bottom-line truth this weekend, and that is this, that Jesus died so we can live. Jesus died so we can truly live. But why is that? Why did Jesus have to die? So that we could have a life. Aren't we alive? Aren't we here today? Aren't we breathing, living? So what, what is this truth really about? And Paul addresses this, and beginning in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, he really leads us to the reason that we need this new life. He says, because you were dead. Because you were dead in your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Now remember, he's writing this to this group of people in Colossae, these believers who last weekend we learned that Paul had heard some things about this church in Colossae and how the people live lives that were marked by three things. You remember what they were? They were marked by, by a faith in Christ Jesus, by a, a love for all people, and by a hope that, that kept them looking forward and striving forward in their lives. What Paul is saying is, here is these people that were filled with faith, hope, and love, they were not always that way. That's not what their life always looked like. In fact, he says, I want you guys to remember, there was a point in your life where you didn't have this faith, this hope, this love. No, in fact, you were dead. Now, he doesn't mean physically dead. He's talking about a, a spiritual deadness, a, a, a mundane going through life, but without really experience the life that is truly life, the kind of life that Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly, a life that's eternal, that begins now, but moves on beyond the grave even. And Paul's reminding the Colossians, listen, you didn't always have this life. At one point, you were dead. In the book of Ephesians, another short letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to another group of people, he says, you were dead as well. Once you were dead, and it was because of your disobedience and your many sins. Man, disobedience, like that's Sounds like a bad word. Like, I don't like talking about that. I don't like thinking about that. And yet, it's in all of us, isn't it? From the, from the youngest of ages, I mean, two of the first words usually out of a baby's mouth are like mama and then what? No. <laughs> isn't it crazy how quickly a little one has their own mind and will? And it's no different in our lives, is it? We don't, we don't like to take orders. We don't like to be told what we're to do. We like to be the leader of our own lives. We like to have it our way. We like to do 
our thing. And it's this very attitude that Paul, to the Colossians, says is an attitude of sin that causes us spiritual death. That's why he says, you were dead. Because your sinful nature had not yet been cut away. It's like Paul's saying that there's this spiritual surgery that needs to happen to reawaken our senses to who God is and the life that he wants for us. So Jesus had to die so that we could live because once we were dead. That's what he's saying to the Colossian believers. But he doesn't leave it there. And that's what I love. Look at the end of verse 13. He says, but then God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave all of our sins. The the things that cut us off from the life that God has for us, Jesus died for so that we could be forgiven and free. Jesus died so that we could live. Are you seeing it now? This is what Paul's trying to remind the Colossians about. So how did he provide this life? How did he provide this forgiveness so that we could experience this real life? Look at verse 14. He says, he canceled the record of charges that were against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. A record of charges against us. I was going to tell you about my rap sheet, um, you know, some of my history, but we won't go there. But God knows it. He, he knows your rap sheet. I wonder, as you think about the record of charges that God could hold against me, that God could hold against you, things that nobody else knows, not even just actions that we've done in the past, but thoughts that we've had in the past that nobody knows. I love what the psalmist said. The psalmist said, God, if you kept a record of wrongs, who could possibly stand? And the implied answer is nobody. None of us could stand before a holy God with our record of wrongs. Whether your record is this long or this long or this long. And, and Paul says to the Colossians, listen, you used to be dead. And so you couldn't experience the life that God has for you because of your own sins. But Jesus came to do something about those sins. He canceled the record of charges against us. And he took it away. He removed it. And how did he do that? By nailing it to the cross. By nailing it to himself on the cross. I love what the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says. The Greek phrase, record of charges, is analogous to an IOU signed by hand and obligating the signer to repay the debt. And Paul's idea here seems to be that the sins of mankind had piled up a list of IOUs so large that they could never, ever be repaid. We have a huge IOU when it comes to God. An IOU that we would never be able to repay ourselves. But that's why Jesus came. I love what it goes on to say. When a criminal 
was crucified. The charges against that criminal were often written down and nailed to his cross. When the debt was impossible to pay, but God dealt with it. He blotted it out. He canceled the bond by nailing it to the cross. And this is a vivid way of saying that because Christ was nailed to the cross, our debt has been completely forgiven. You, like, we should bring the worship team out right now and we should just start singing hallelujah. Because that is incredible, incredible news. See, this is why Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die so that we could live. So that we could live in freedom. Freedom from our old life and our old ways. And enter into a brand new life. Jesus died. So that we can live. So what does this new life look like? Once a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus as the one that took our record of charges against us and asks him for his forgiveness and he fills us with his new life, what does this new life begin to do? How do, we, how do we embrace this new life? Paul goes on in chapter 3 to help tell us. He says, since you have been raised to this new life with Christ, he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. He's saying there's a whole new world that is opened up to you now. And the reality of heaven is that everything that Jesus says in heaven goes. That's why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That our desire then here on earth now, our, our new reality, our new focus in life is, God, we want whatever you want to happen down here. And not just out there, but in here, in me. I want my life to be marked by this new focus, this new reality. So he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Where, where Jesus Christ is honored and lifted up and that by the way that we live and the way that we think now, it honors Jesus. It's no longer just a self-centered life. It's a Jesus and other-centered life. In verse 2, he says, think about the things of heaven, not just the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus died so that we could really live. Now, just a mindset change is one thing, and that's a tall order. And we don't do that on our own. We do that through Christ's power and strength. It's why we gather every week to center around the truth of God's word, to let it transform our thinking. It's why we spend time in the chair throughout the week, uh, our own private time with Jesus, so that his word can transform our thinking. But even once our thinking begins to change, it doesn't mean that automatically our behaviors will follow, right? There's times in my life where I Man, I know the right thing to do, but it doesn't always mean that that's what I do. And Paul knew that. So he says, first, we got to change our focus, change our thinking. But then he says, we're going to have to do something about that old way of life that continues to want to creep up and take the lead. So he says, so put to death. He says, put on this new mindset, but then put to death 
the sinful earthly things that are lurking within you. And man, we've all got some things lurking within us. Some of us here have never found forgiveness for those things lurking in our souls. Because we've never turned to Jesus. And some of us in this room, we've turned to Jesus and we've found forgiveness. And, and what makes it worse is that we still find these things lurking within us. These leftovers that, that drag us down, that pull us away, that damage our lives, that damage the lives of other people around us. And Paul says we've got to put those things to death. He says have nothing to do with sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires. He says don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. He says because of these things, the anger of God is coming. I look at that list of things that mark the old way of living. That Paul says we need to keep putting those to death. Put them in their place. Put them back in the grave. Or put them, nail them back to the cross where Jesus paid for them so that they could be canceled and removed from us. And I wonder which ones stick out to you. Which ones do you wrestle with? As, as I thought about this this week, the, the word greed kind of leapt off the page. And I don't think of myself as greedy. I'm just kind of cheap. <laughs> I Christianize it. You know, I'm just a good steward. You know, just trying to be wise. But as I thought about it more and more, it can be greed. When, when I mean, this is... So, I just pulled the pizza out of the oven, and I put it on the top of the stove, and I cut the pizza, and I'm getting ready to put it onto paper plates to go then give to the family, and there's this one piece. I mean, it's a good-looking piece of pizza. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit bigger than the other pieces. It seems like the crust, it's, like a, it's got one of those little air bubbles. It, it seems like, it, I mean, and the crust is more puffy on the edges than, than the, this side over here. And I'm having this inward debate. Do I give that piece of pizza to Carter? Because, I mean, he's in swimming now. I mean, he needs his calories. I mean, he, you know. Or do I take that piece because I want it? <laughs> and deep down inside, that's selfishness. That could be greed. And Paul's reminding the Colossians, this, that's part of the old Todd that gets what you want and gets what you want first. And that's the old Todd that Jesus died for. So you could live a new life, a life of, of generosity. This can infect so many things in our lives. Uh, Carter uh, he, he got to march for the first time. He's seventh grade band. He got to march for the first time in, in, in the homecoming parade. And, you know, summer was over. Homecoming's happening. He, he hadn't put pants on yet. He puts his pants on. Oh, my gosh. They're like this. They're like this. I know you can't unsee that, but. <laughs> Literally, we're watching the parade, and my son marches by, and one of the guys in, my, in our small group says, hey, dude, what's up with your son's pants? 
Lisa, Lisa literally said, we have utterly failed as parents. <laughs> like, he's, he's just starting to grow finally. I'm so grateful, but he's growing. He needs new clothes. So Lisa sends me to Kohl's with a gift card, you know, and then I'm seeing how much everything costs. And like, even just socks, like socks and underwear are, like, ridiculous expensive. And I'm having this inner struggle. How much is on the gift card? How much are those socks? How much are those underwear? How much are those pants? Is there going to be anything left? I love to shop at Kohl's. I love the clearance rack. I'm frugal. I'm cheap. I get good deals. But my son needs socks and underwear, and I'm thinking about what if I see something that I want? Greed. It can, it can wiggle its way into all of our lives. I don't know what it is for you. What's part of the old way, the old life that keeps trying to grab a hold of your new life? Paul, he, he continues to talk about other factions of this. He says, so put to death the sinful, earthly nature that's lurking within you. Verse 7, he says, you used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. He says, but now it's time to get rid of all these things. And then he gives us another list. Maybe yours isn't greed. You're way better than me. <laughs> but is it anger? Is it rage? Is it malicious behavior? Is it slander? Dirty language? Is it lying? He says, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Paul's saying to the Colossians, listen, I know you're, you're, you're these incredible people, and I've heard about your faith and your hope and love, but I want you to remember, you were once dead. And Jesus had to die so that you could really live. And part of this new life is changing our focus and what we think about and what, what our affections are turned towards. And part of this new life is continually putting to death the old parts of us. I love what N.T. Wright says. He says, if you don't kill them, they will kill you. These old parts of who we were, anger and greed, and malicious behavior, selfishness. If we don't kill them, if we don't put them to death, they will kill us. They'll destroy us. They'll destroy our relationships. So, so, so this new life is marked by a new focus and attitude, but it's also marked by putting to death, putting away these old parts of us, and then putting on the new parts of us. And that's what Paul goes on to talk about. He says, so put on your new nature and be, be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. See, this, this is not just stuff that we put away and we start thinking about differently and we put on all these new things um, in our own strength. It's as we get to know our creator that in our relationship with God, he gives us then the strength and the power to, to put to death those old things and to put on this whole new wardrobe that he's going to talk about in the next verses. He says, in this, this new life, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. All these were things that were like uh, different groups of people. And you knew who these groups of people were oftentimes by the clothing that they wore. Just like today, like our, our, 
our threads say something about us, you know, or if, if we work at a certain place with a certain uniform, that marks us, and we know that, oh, that guy's a mailman, or oh, that guy, she works, she works in the office, or oh, that person, you know, he does this. And, and, and Paul's using this metaphor to say, like, your old clothes need to stay in the grave with your old life because Jesus died to give you a new life, which means there's a whole new wardrobe to put on. And so he describes it. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves, he says, you must now clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. See, we used to wear anger and greed and malicious behavior and lust. He's saying, but that, that's the old you. And Jesus died for the old you. So you could live a whole new life. So start putting these things on. Let, let God shape our lives so, so that every morning we put on tender-hearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness. Verse 13, he says, And make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you. Remember, the Lord canceled the record of charges against us. So let's stop holding a record against other people. He says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace and always be thankful. And you say, well, Todd, all this you know, good stuff now that we're supposed to put on, it's not that easy, and you're right. Because the old, the old part of us wants to come back to life, <laughs> wants to take over again. And so there's this war going on within us. Do I give the big piece of pizza to Carter or to me? <laughs> and it feels unnatural at first to put on love, to put on compassion, to put on patience when, man, you just want to let somebody have it. Or... It doesn't come natural. Growing up, my dad, he was, a, he was a pretty good golfer. And to this day, it's still kind of like the thing that we do. Like if, if, he, if he drives down here, if I go up to Michigan, um, you know, we're going to try to get nine holes of golf. And I'm not a great golfer, but I learned everything I know about golf from my dad. I can never, I'll never forget the first time I, I went out with him and um, he let me swing the club. And he said, oh, no, 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 you're doing it all wrong. I was just, I just grabbed the club and thought, well, here we go. Just kind of like a baseball grip. And I remember my dad saying, no, 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 that's not how you hold a golf club. I'm like, same thing, it's just. He's like, no, 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 when you, when you hold the golf club, you need to take your pinky and your thumb and you need to interlock them, lock them. And I, I, I tried it. I'm like, this is so weird. This feels totally janky. Like, I can't do this. I tried it a couple times. It didn't work. I'm like, I'm not doing it that way. I remember literally thinking, we're on the course thinking, all right, he's not looking. Baseball grip, baby. You know, <laughs> I'll show him. And then, and eventually I thought, well, okay, I need to try it. Like, really try it. And it felt so unnatural. But little by little, 
I did it the way that my dad taught me. And I got a little better. When I was at our old church, um, I was on a golf, first time I ever did a golf league. Our team took first place. It probably wasn't because of, of me, but my, my golf partner was like awesome. But everything I learned, I learned from my dad, and he taught me the right way. And at first, it did not feel right. It did not feel natural. And putting on the clothing of Christ will not feel natural at first. Because there's remnants of the old us that still want to have it our way. What would happen? I mean, what would happen if we put on the clothing every morning that, that Paul describes here to the Colossians? In the next couple of weeks here at the chapel, we're going to look at how this affects our marriage relationships, our parenting relationships, our work world. Think about these things. What if we put on every morning tender-hearted mercy? Tender-hearted mercy is having compassion, especially for those in need. What if every morning we put on kindness? A, a, David Garland calls it a gracious sensitivity toward others that is triggered by genuine care for them. What about humility? Philippians says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. What if we put away the pride, the, the old part of our life, and said, no, even though it doesn't feel right, even though it, it's unnatural, you know, you go first. What if, what if we put on gentleness every morning? I love how Todd still describes this. Jesus depicted himself as one considerate of other persons and their concerns and not demanding his own way. Love does not demand its own way. It's gentle. And finally, patience. Andrew Lincoln says, Patience is the ability not to become frustrated and enraged, but to make allowances for others' shortcomings and to tolerate exasperating behavior. Oh, patience. You see, impatience, that's part of, that's part of the old life that then just gets angry and wants to lash out. But Jesus died for that life so that we could live a new life. A life that it, it's so much better for us. Oh, man, and it's so much better for everybody else around us. So as we close uh, this part of the morning, I want to give us some next steps to consider no matter where you're at, uh, whether you're just kind of exploring faith or you're, you're just getting started in the journey or maybe you're, you're ready to engage in your faith and really want to grow or, or maybe you're at a place where you're ready to, to lead others and, and, and give some influence. And we always like to think about everybody and wherever you're at. For some people here, maybe you've crossed the line of faith and, and you realize Jesus died so that you could live. And you've placed your faith in Jesus. The record of charges that was against you, you know it's been canceled because of what Jesus did for you. And you are forever grateful. But you've never been baptized. And baptism, it's like, it's like a physical, tangible changing of a tire. 
like we go down under the water, our old life, our old ways gets left there and we come up out of the water and we're dressed in Jesus. And so if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus but you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to consider taking that next step. At the end of this month, when we finish the series of Colossians, we're going to have an incredible celebration right here, and we'll have a tank of water, and you can make that public commitment, that public display. Next weekend, we'll have a special baptism class where you can learn more. Just investigate that. So come and consider your next step. We want to help everybody, whether it's kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers, adults, take their next steps. And man, we have a couple incredible opportunities for our students coming up. In the Making is a special tailored retreat experience just for our middle schoolers and just for our high schoolers. High school, it'll happen November 8th through 10th. And so if you're a high school student, man, you need to be at In the Making. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, man, help them get there. Remind them. Uh, middle schoolers, same thing. A, a powerful experience where, where students will share life together and have fun together and be challenged in their faith to take next steps. Maybe you're here and you don't have kids or you're past that phase, but you say, you know what? I could get behind that. What do they need? Do they need somebody to drive kids around? Do they need somebody to bring in some food? Do they, do they need some extra chaperones? A way to help the next generation take their next steps to help them leave their old life and step into their new life with Jesus. Or maybe you're at a place where you go, man, I need to, I need to do something and I need to, to lead others, like have some influence, use the influence that God's given me. In the, in the worship program that you received when you came in, there's a card and it has all of our 2020 short-term missions. I am so pumped. We have the first time ever a team going to Cuba with a new ministry that we're partnering with called Filter of Hope, providing clean water to people and sharing the truth of the living water, which is Jesus. You could be a part of that team. Pittsburgh Project for our students. Another trip to Burundi to partner with our little village there in Buganyuzi. You could go there and see it firsthand and show the love of Jesus to the people that are the least of these or a trip to Mexico uh, for high schoolers or for families and kick off to hope. You play some soccer, you love sports. Maybe, maybe God's calling you to be a part of kick off to hope this year. Those are all in, in, the, in the worship program for you to take with you. What's our next step? Jesus died so that we could live. Really, really live. We want to finish our service worshiping together. And the verses that follow what we just read are these. Paul says, so let this message about Christ, this truth, these truths that we've just heard that Jesus died so that we could live, says, let it fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. And then, what does he say? Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And that's what we want to do. Jesus has done so much for us. He's canceled the record against us so that we could live a whole new life. 